Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. So yes, I'm Martin Bright. I'm the political editor of the Jewish Chronicle, uh, previously of the uh, New Statesman uh, and the Observer. Uh, so something of a, a lefty in these circles, I'm afraid. Um, I'm also, however, founder of New Deal of the Mind, which is a charity that aims to place young people into jobs in the creative industries. Uh, we worked with the previous government on a scheme called the Future Jobs Fund and placed 800 people in jobs around the country. We're now working with the work programme uh, under the new government uh, to try and place people and train people under the new system. We're also running a parliamentary academy for apprentices in Westminster, uh, where young people will be placed within, West, within MPs' offices uh, as business administration apprentices. And uh, if anyone in this room has had to deal with MPs' offices ever, you'll know how necessary that work is. We currently have three uh, pioneer MPs who've taken apprentices on, uh, and good for them. We're working on the other MPs who've just had a raise in their salary budgets of £20,000 to try and take uh, other apprentices on. We hope it's going to work. Um, I wanted just very briefly to talk about one MP that's uh, a huge exception to the rule of the general uh, lack of organisation and uh, rudeness that we found uh, in trying to set up our academy. This man's called Gordon Birtwistle. Don't know if anyone in the room's heard of him. He's a uh, Burnley MP. He's the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on apprenticeships. Uh, he's an unexpected MP. He didn't expect to win uh, his seat. He's 70 years old next year, so he's the oldest new MP. Um, he trained as an engineering apprentice uh, and worked in the industry uh, throughout his career, uh, ending up owning his own engineering company, which he's now, uh, is now run by his son, while uh, Gordon's in Westminster. The company is, I guess, what you call a widget company. I can't remember the name of it, but uh, something like, you know, widget and widget. Uh, and I don't say that in a sneering way at all. Um, uh, the problem for Gordon as he explained to me last week, is that he's turning away work uh, because he can't find skilled people to work for him. Now, I'm fully prepared, and I argue on platforms like this all the time, I'm fully prepared to suggest that we do not have an army of lazy young people out there unprepared for work. Um, but I think we do have a problem. Um, everyone in, that Gordon comes across in his local college uh, has um, been studying media, uh, and uh, they all want to become TV directors or, or journalists, heaven knows why, um, but there's a real problem when companies like, like Gordon's are struggling to find skilled workers, and I have to recognise that this is a catastrophe. Um, when I've written a lot about the risk of a lost generation, I think we have a serious uh, problem of a potentially de-skilled generation out there, and I think there are people in this room and people on this panel who know a lot more about this than I do. So I'll um, stop my lecturing and preaching and uh, get on to introduce the panel who are the important people here today. Um, 
So, uh, I think I'll start on my left. I think everyone on the panel would agree the most impressive person on the panel today. Um, Rachel Carr. Uh, now, we get these, uh, as, as chairs, you get these uh, write-ups of people that are always slightly too long, so I'm going to pick uh, a few choice facts from everyone, but I think the, the choice fact really in Rachel's case is that she's BAE Systems UK Apprentice of the Year. Um, She's now a systems engineer on the Typhoon military jet program, which is extraordinarily impressive. Uh, she's also studying for a degree in mechatronics. I have no idea what that is. Uh, so maybe she'll explain that to us. Um, on my immediate left, uh, we have Brian Holiday, who's the divisional director of uh, industry automation at Siemens. I think kind of key fact from my point of view from, from Brian's biography is that he joined Siemens in 1993. Uh, and you know, I'm sure this gives him the kind of consistency and a, and a staying power that is very important in, the, in this kind of industry. Um, he's also, importantly, director of the Black Country University Technical College, a, a kind of new innovation, and again, perhaps we'll, we'll go into that a little bit in the discussion. Uh, on my immediate right is Dr. Rhys Morgan. Uh, he's the head of Secretariat to Education for Engineering, E4E, that's not to be confused with A4E. <laughs> um, uh, although I, I have to say that New Deal of the Mind does have a contract with A4E, so again, I'm not uh, sneering entirely here. Um, uh, uh, and he's, uh, sorry, he's head of secretariat at uh, the uh, E4E at the Royal Academy of Engineering. Uh, on his right is David Perks, head of physics at Gravely School and author of What is Science Education for Again, there's some consistency here. David has taught in state schools for nearly 25 years. And I think probably all that needs to be said is that he's a passionate defender of academic science education. Um, so we're going to kick off with a um, short five minutes uh, from each of our speakers. I will then begin the discussion uh, with uh, the chair's privilege of asking the first question. And pretty soon we will then throw it open to the room. So, um, Rachel, would you mind... Um, no, off. not a problem. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very glad to be here to be able to represent, well, ex-apprentices and young people. Um, my first question I'd like to ask the audience is, by raise of hands, who has heard of the World Skills? Who's heard of the UK Skills and the UK Skills Olympics? And out of the people that have raised their hands, who is based from Birmingham North upwards? <laughs> I'm from the Northwest. I'm based at Waterton Psalm 3 of BAE and I competed in the World Cup last year on behalf of the UK. I was in the Manufacturing Team Challenge. I was very privileged and very honoured to represent my country my skill. We didn't win but we did very well. We, we enjoyed it completely. Now out of the people that competed, it's very rare to find compete, uh, competitors sorry, from the North or Northwest. Scotland have people that compete, so do Ireland. From the Midlands up, you don't get that much. And I think it's due to low press, low advertisement and low promotion, whether it be the fault of, the, of us, the press, the media. And I find it awful. I think it's terrible that we're not represented. Obviously, London is a big hub. It's the hive. It's the city. It's brilliant. But I'd like some of that bringing up north, if possible, please. Um, I've spoken about the poor advertisement. I feel that World Skills, it was in London last year. It's not been in London for a good few years, and it probably won't come back to London for another few years. It was the biggest 
thing that the XL have ever had. It's the big, biggest exhibit. We had the whole of the XL, and we had over 200,000 people on the throughput. But did you see any advertisement for it? Was there anything on the telly, in the newspapers, on the radio, apart from the interviews of the local people that were competing? We're trying to showcase manufacturing, and we're trying to improve STEM, engineering, manufacturing, all of it across the board, not just engineering, and there's nothing out there for people. If they don't know about it, how, how can they do it? How can they go to college and say, oh, I fancy doing engineering or I fancy doing manufacturing? There's no advertisement for it, and I think it's, it's heartbreaking, really, because it's going to die. You get all your advertisement for your hairdressing, beauty therapy, bricklaying. That's a constructive trade, or your construction, but the physical manufacturing, I think, is lacking, and I, I, I really want that to change, please. Um, I am a STEM ambassador and I'm also ambassador for my company, BAE Systems, and I'll go to the local schools and I, we do schools roadshows, trying to get the schools within our catchment area interested in engineering and manufacturing, not just representing BAE, but STEM subjects. And children, you can speak to children and young adults, but they won't engage unless you engage them. Now we can do what we can from our side, but I think if the smaller companies try to get a little bit more involved, with the help of the bigger ones, because I do understand that resources are slow, uh, tight, sorry. But I think we need to just embrace the children more and the young adults. We pitch it at year sixes, year nines, and then school leavers at 16. Year nines, we think we can get in there early because they've got the options, but at year six, you can plant that seed. And I think that's what we need to start doing. Um, I also, this is probably going to cause a bit of an uproar, but I also believe that there's slight teaching naivety within manufacturing. Now, the reason I think this is because I do have a lot of interaction with children in schools, I do have a lot of interaction with teachers, and most teachers that are coming through now are my age, 24 upwards. They've been to school, they've been to college, they've been to university, they've been the work placements, they're going to teach. I don't understand how they can, they can teach the subjects, but how can I offer careers advice to children when they have no life experience? of the outside world because they've been education from the age of four all the way up until the end of the degree, 23, 24 years old, but they've never actually been out there and seen any of the companies. No, I'm not, I'm not blaming the teachers, God, I don't want to open that debate, but if the teachers could have an insight to what manufacturing and schools do, uh, sorry, what manufacturing do and what companies do, they could offer more of an insight and more of a nudge to the children and to the young adults. We do careers roadshow at colleges as well, and even if you go to colleges now, some of them are still questioning what we do. The typical question I get is, oh, you, you do engineering, you don't do business. And I'm like, no. You still have the disillusion that engineering is male and it's grubby and it's dirty. That also needs to change. It's the stereotypes, I think, that are still being knocking around now. And we're in 2012, and I'm still met with a stereotype of you're a female in engineering. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> thank you. Oh, super, thank you. That's right. <laughs> I'm just reminded of my uh, start of my career 26 years ago, actually, as an apprentice as well with, uh, with Texas Instruments. But uh, for me, I thought that was a tremendous vocational start to uh, an engineering career, and I've been passionate ever since about. Uh, engineering and bringing people into a profession that, that doesn't have the standing in this country that, that it ought. And I think that was uh, one of the points earlier that uh, Roman made, I think, if, if you compare us with Germany. 
But um, I'm responsible today for a large division of the Siemens organisation here in the UK. Um, we employ just 13,000 people here in the UK out of the 400,000 or so that the, the company um, has as employees worldwide. And about 6,000 of those here in the UK are involved in, in engineering and manufacturing. And quite often those, those two topics are uh, intrinsically linked. My, my business is a manufacturer uh, here in the UK. Um, my, my business makes water technologies. But we also, as Siemens here, make gas turbines, traffic lights, um, variable speed drives, which help reduce the, the cost of energy through motors and so on. Unfortunately, we don't make trains, and I think many of you will have been aware of the, uh, the press coverage we've had over the last uh, year or so on this particular topic. But of course, we are passionate very much about uh, picking the right manufacturing locations for, uh, for our products. Onto the topic very much of um, skills and, and how to inspire young people into uh, a profession where they will hopefully make things and uh, generate wealth. We, um, in thinking about this, I had three uh, key topics. For me, uh, role models, the right intellectual stimuli and responsibility. And I think, for me, role models are extremely important to, to bring young people into to this profession. We commissioned some of our own research in advance of the, the World Skills event um, in, in October in 2010 to, to try and test perceptions of uh, 11 to 14 year olds and their parents uh, to see what they were thinking about uh, you know, the prospect of an engineering career. And it, worryingly, only one in 10 saw engineering as an important job, putting us somewhat behind lawyers and politicians. And perhaps to confirm what Rachel's already shared with us, four in 10 actually confirmed that they thought engineering sounded dirty or smelly. Um, so smelly. Smelly, <laughs> yes. Um, but I think what the research also showed us was that parents and teachers really lack the sort of input that they need to be able to advise young people, uh, their children, um, in the, the right career um, choices. So I would say that career advice in school is at best limited and uh, at worst non-existent. So I think there's a, a clear challenge for companies to step up and, and really promote uh, manufacturing. As my skills partner in, in our Newcastle wind turbine factory says, uh, a role model can't be a bloke in a suit either. Um, it really has to be somebody who's um, much closer to the, the age of the, the student but also you know, demonstrably uh, achieving in, in an engineering field. And for me, I'd actually written down Dyson. Uh, James Dyson, for me, I think is a, a super role model. Ross Braun and Brian Cox. I mean, how better a role model can we have than a rock star turned uh, promoter of the engineering profession? So uh, I think these are, these are critical for, for young people. The, the right intellectual stimuli. Um, vocational learning is key, and I've been a, a proud supporter of the University Technical College at Walsall, just the second um, such school that uh, has been uh, opened here in the UK, and I know that there are more than 20 planned uh, by the present administration to reintroduce a technical vocational learning route for 14 to 19 year olds, to expose them to specialist technology and teaching uh, with, a, with a clear, clearly technical outcome that still gives these um, students routes to university, but also makes them much, much more employable um, in the, uh, the engineering and manufacturing workplace. So clearly, th those intellectual stimuli need to include design and technology. Um, I, I was saddened about the engineering diploma having been downgraded in terms of its, um, uh, as a currency, if you like, in terms of its value to schools just recently by the government, a real step in the wrong direction, but certainly uh, promotes STEM subject um, teaching in school as a solid base for, for the profession. And finally, on this 
topic, I would say that we have to reach young people and make it fun. So we have to teach them in ways that they would naturally want to learn themselves and recognise the differences for those of us that, that learnt in quite different styles at school. Um, so what I mean by that is reaching them through dig digital media. Um, and you're more than welcome to have a look, of course, but if you have a look at plantville.com, you know, this is a software initiative to rather like Farmville, um, where I have a, a nine-year-old daughter who tells me occasionally, I'll be there in a minute, Dad, I'm just watering my strawberries. Um, you know, she naturally wants to go and use this um, software environment to, uh, to learn and, and play. Well, Plantville is a way of um, you know, becoming Pete the plant manager and making asset decisions about a, a manufacturing plant and seeing what, that, what happens to resources and outputs and, and so on. So I think these types of initiatives are really important. But equally, uh, just to give it a quick mention, the Big Bang, you know, again, in Birmingham a couple of weeks ago, a tremendous opportunity to, to showcase uh, engineering uh, talent, manufacturing to, to young people. So very pleased again to be one of the, the proud sponsors and supporters of that and World Skills and Green Power. These are initiatives that certainly you want to, to learn more about if you don't know already. And just finally then on responsibility, I really think it's very important that we give young people real life challenges. We make it competitive as a way to, uh, to really grab them, to make them think about the challenges outside the classroom. You know, and I think at this point when you've got them as part of a competitive challenge, um, then of course I think we're on the right track. And I've seen a difference in our apprentices in Newcastle by treating them as adults. I've seen the difference in the University Technical College when we see young people uh, treated as adults in that environment, a working day, business attire, um, and the way that we talk to them. So I think this makes a difference. And finally, I think we've got to give them access to real-world tools. I think software is key, and I think the, you know, the digital um, tools available to support the design to digital manufacture process are critical. Let's expose you know, the very latest of technologies to young people today to give them a, a, an edge in bringing them into the, the manufacturing-led future that we're aiming for in this country. Thank you very much. Yep, thank you. Um, okay, I guess there, there are three things that I want to talk about. Um, one I'll, I'll spend a bit more time on, but the first thing is that you have to give young people the experience of making things. In the olden days when uh, you, you, you're, you were interested in the radio broke, you could take the back off it and you could play around with it and see what, was, what had gone wrong and uh, you could tinker about with it. Now you can't, it's just surface mount technology, you can't see anything, it's all covered if you can actually open the box. Same with cars, if you opened the bonnet of a car 25 years ago you could see the engine. Now if you open the bonnet of a car, there's another bonnet in there. You can't actually get anywhere near the engine. So where do young people get this experience? Well, um, again, in, uh, 10, 15 years ago, you could uh, uh, write computer programs. Now you have an Xbox, you can't get anywhere near the operating system. Uh, real problems with actually developing software, and I think the Raspberry Pi that's just been launched is going to be a real asset to the IT community in terms of improving programming and uh, 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 software development. Uh, but one of the few places where young people will get an experience to make things is their practical education in schools. And I think the government is sending out all the wrong signals about practical education in schools. First we have the diploma, which was just mentioned then, so that's been reduced in its equivalence to just one GCSE. It takes three GCSEs worth of time to teach this. Now the government have said they want to simplify and make consistent all uh, qualifications so that 
um, uh, schools don't cheat the system because they're climbing up the league tables by, off by getting kids to do easier subjects and getting three or four GCSEs. But the engineering diploma is really difficult. It was developed by employers, lots of industry input, time and effort invested in it, and yet the government has sent out this very strong signal that they don't care about it. It's one GCSE and it's the same as everything else. Uh, the second one is DMT, a design and technology is a subject that all children will have to uh, learn from the ages of 5 to 14 as part of the key stage uh, program. In fact, earlier than 5 because it starts at the early years foundation stage. Um, and I'll come back to DNT in a moment. Once they're engaged and they're interested in making things, you have to expose them to the world of opportunities that making things can, uh, uh, that you can do making things. So we need much stronger links with industry and I was very pleased last week or the week before last to be at the BA Systems Roadshow launch in South London. Uh, the BA Systems Roadshow is going to go around to 25,000 pupils in over 200 schools over the next year. Really brilliant uh, endeavour to get more kids interested in engineering. And there are lots and lots of different uh, activities like that where industry ambassadors from science and engineering are going into schools and, and, and explaining about what they're doing. But actually, that needs to be backed up by professional careers advice and guidance at the right time when children are making their decisions about the options of the subjects they'll take. Um, and we're right, we need to break down those misconceptions of what, of what an engineer is. I'm an engineer, I've got a flowery tile. I'm not wearing a boiler suit. Uh, <clears throat> so finally, once you've got them infused and excited about making things and they've got the right information about what they need to do to uh, uh, proceed and to progress in their chosen career, then you need to make sure that they are properly educated and they achieve the right results to go as far as they possibly want to and, the, and achieve the highest level they can. In 2009, 39% uh, of the cohort, 630,000 pupils, uh, in the cohort, 247,000 of them did not get A star to C in mathematics. Now that is a fundamental subject for engineering, for manufacturing. You have to have the basic GCSE mathematics to progress in an engineering career. This is just simply not good enough and we need to make sure that young people are given the right education to get those uh, uh, GCSEs that are important in their professions. But the thing I want to talk about really is D&T today. Um, Design and technology uh, is a, the most popular GCSE, non-compulsory GCSE, in the uh, school curriculum. But we have to face facts. It's not taught very well in many schools. Uh, in fact, in some schools, provision is pretty terrible. We still have children making bird boxes and bending bits of plastic for a clock face. This is something I did 25 years ago when I was in school, and it hasn't changed still. We have a legacy of woodwork teachers and metalwork teachers and textiles teachers and things like that. Resistant materials and textiles are deeply embedded in craft. They don't have the technology aspects that we are looking for in a modern manufacturing, high-value manufacturing economy. And these industries are in decline. UK Commission for Employment and Skill Statistics show that the, these uh, industries are going to be in decline and there are fewer and fewer taking jobs in those roles. There's also food technology in design and technology. Food is a very important manufacturing industry in the UK. If only schools taught food technology, they teach cookery. Now cookery is really important. It's important that young people know about nutrition, particularly in this environment where we have lots of poor nutrition and obesity. But it shouldn't be in the design and technology curriculum. So what we need is much more of the very challenging 
aspects of design and technology, systems and control, electronics. Um, so there is poor provision in D&T. We need to improve that. And the Design and Technology Association, the subject association, will even hold their hands up and admit it. But wait, D&T is not the only subject where there is bad teaching. I'm sure David will agree there's plenty of bad teaching in science, with many science teachers uh, uh, spreading misconceptions and inaccuracies about physics. Uh, you're sure you'll talk to us about that in a second, David. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but a well-delivered well D&T is imbued with creativity, problem-solving, open-ended challenges, uh, allowing children to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, dealing with ambiguity, building confidence in learners. Uh, you only had to go to the Big Bang Fair, and if anyone did, you would have seen some of the incredible things that the young people were doing, well beyond first-year degree-type uh, 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 projects uh, and some of the judges were really struggling to deal with the complexities of some of the projects that the young people were doing. It was a fantastic event. It's grown since 2009 from 6,000 visitors to this year 56,000 visitors in over three years. Young people have got the message. They, they are, uh, the, those who are attending the Big Bang Fair recognize the importance of these engineering and technology careers. Now my main concern, I want to finish with this, is that we are currently having a review of the national curriculum. And the government appointed an expert panel for that review. And that expert panel have recommended that design and technology is removed from the national curriculum and is placed in a basic curriculum where schools can decide the content that young people will uh, uh, be uh, uh, receiving. So are we likely to see an investment in the challenging uh, aspects of D&T if schools can deliver this content? I doubt it very much. We want to see much more applied physics, applied science, mathematics in that curriculum. Are we likely to see a cutback in provision so that schools only deliver the statutory minimum which are they, re they required? They've got to focus on the EBAC subjects. They've got to focus on the national curriculum subjects. De design and technology takes up a lot of space. It's dangerous. It's a health and safety nightmare. It costs a lot of money for all the consumables. So I and many others in the engineering profession fear that uh, we, we will be heading down a reduction in practical education in schools if the government take on board these recommendations. So we are urging the Secretary of State not to accept these recommendations, to make D&T a national curriculum subject so that with national programmes of study, which the engineering profession and industry will help define so that young children have the skills and the challenges of a high-value manufacturing technology-type education. Thank you. David, are there some good teachers on? I hope so. Um, uh, also in real trouble. Um, I actually kind of uh, think that uh, one way of looking at this is to um, think that when we try to put the problem onto education, we're kind of making a problem that doesn't need to exist in education. Uh, and making it very complicated to do what education should be doing, which is teaching the basics that allow kids then to choose what they want to do at later life, whether they want to be an engineer or whatever. Right? Uh, and one of the uh, sort of all-encompassing ideas is that kids are not interested in the subjects they're supposed to be studying, science, maths, um, design tech, if you want. Um, and, and therefore, we've got to somehow make them come to life and bring them back to some kind of uh, interest to them uh, so that kids will get engaged in it and, and, and that's where the source of the problem lies and, 
And you're always trying to look earlier and earlier down the chain, younger and younger, to find the source of the problem. Um, but I think you're looking in the wrong place entirely. It is not children that are the problem. Children are, uh, by dint of being a human being, incredibly interested in anything that adults do and, and want to impress them with. And as a teacher, if you're a teacher, you'll know that that's the, the trick of the trade. You, you make something interesting because you're interested in it, then they'll be interested in it. And so what you need is passionate teachers who have got the space and the freedom to do what they should be doing, which is teach the subject they're supposed to be there to teach. And uh, from my point of view, uh, dealing with science and specifically physics, Brian Cox promotes physics, I believe, more than engineering, but never, never mind. I've had him speak in my school, so... But, um, so, uh, in, in terms of uh, physics, which is um, supposed to be the hardest bit of the STEM lot that people don't do, apart from maths, um, and uh, very unattractive and all the rest of it, it's just rubbish, right? you just got to go out there and do it. And uh, where I am... Uh, my school, we've managed to get 100 uh, pupils to do A-level physics uh, in uh, year 12, um, which I think you'll find is very hard to match anywhere else in the state sector. And uh, for once, equal numbers of girls as boys, uh, very successful, really striving to do well. And because we're passionate about what we're doing, it gives them the freedom to choose what they want to do with it. Loads of them want to do engineering at university. Um, and have made that choice themselves. It wasn't, you didn't need good career advice or anything in, in that respect to, to make that opportunity open to them. What you've done is you've treated them seriously, you've educated them properly, they do maths, they do the physics, they've got the choices then to apply to university to study that. If they don't do those basics, there's no chance, because the requirements to study engineering at university are now getting higher and higher and higher, and so without the basics, you can't do it. So the job that schools should be doing is teaching the subjects they ought to be delivering that give you kids the opportunity to do as many things as they can. And the basics, science and maths for engineering are crucial. Without that, it doesn't matter how many initiatives you do, you won't get people going towards the careers that you, you want to promote. And so you know, I'm very, very passionate about academic education. That should be the core job of a school. And given that, and the success in that, it gives you the space to then do other stuff. Um, and I think that's where I kind of disagree with him a bit on this. I mean, I think the EBAC, um, whatever you think about it, and it's a crude technical device, but it, sa it says value academic subjects in schools. And I totally agree with that. And that includes science and maths, obviously. Uh, and there's a push um, uh, to, you know, promote mathematics at A-level more and more so that uh, youngsters don't make the wrong choice because a lot of them make the choice of not doing maths at A-level, do physics, and then they can't do anything with it. And like that, that kind of thing is going on a lot because it, it, kids are left open to those kind of choices and they choose the easy options. Um, and it, it doesn't help them. So in that sense, you could argue that there's a need to uh, explain that to them. But... Um, the point being is that if you value academic education, it opens the door to so many other things. But also, um, if you look at what um, accounts one, I think you've explained it quite well, um, for uh, design technology in schools, 
Um, the one thing I think, uh, I'm not being too over the top about this, is the one thing design technology education in schools does is puts kids off wanting to make things. Because what they have to do to do a design technology GCSE is produce an enormous folder of pieces of paper to make a very small box or a pop-up book or something like that. And it's not about uh, giving them the space to learn how to deal with materials and how to deal with uh, you know, modern uh, uh, ma manufacturing techniques, electronics. And, electronics isn't that modern, but you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and, and they can't do it. In fact, uh, the, t the drive away from that has reduced the, in the electronics component within in design technology, the electronics to such a small amount, it's meaningless and they don't understand it, so they have to copy each other and copy what the teacher does to produce something. It's a joke. It's just not any good. And I think um, uh, when Michael Gove um, made the point about uh, IT education in schools and how um, what goes for an education in, in, in computer technology uh, in schools is just a laughable joke. It's just basically use the software that everybody uses anyway and get a GCSE or worse still a vocational qualification worth four GCSEs as was for it. Everybody knows it's a way of bumping up your grades in the league tables and it's not really doing anything for the kids. And so in that respect, and I'm, I'm uh, very interested in this because uh, personally I'm leading a project to launch a, a school in East London, a science school, um, which would have as its uh, sort of technical, vocational, if you like, side to it, computer science as the core bit that we offer kids. Um, and therefore we've got to design something from scratch because it doesn't exist. I think the AQA have just released, one of the examples have just released a uh, GCSE that might work, but that's it. It doesn't exist out there, which is mad. I mean, when um, uh, the fuss was made, when Eric Schmidt um, did his speech about the fact that there's, you know, this was the, the birthplace of so many things in uh, computer science, but you, you, no one knows how to do it anymore, he's right because we don't teach it. And yet, um, those uh, 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 sort of opportunities uh, should be things that we can do and deliver uh, and, and at least experiment with. But yet again, the basics are, if you don't have the basic academic education, you can't really make use of it. So you can't sort of attempt to do this without educating people in the basics um, and just sort of think that a vocational education will solve the problem because it's called vocational or whatever it is. It, the two things are inextricably linked. You've got to be good at your academic core to be good at your technical skills and your technical education. There's no way around it. And so I think in that respect what we've got to do is get back to a core idea of what schools and education can deliver and that will open up the possibility uh, of taking uh, different routes beyond that. Can I just ask you to contain your passion for a moment there, David? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, uh, we will open up to the room. I think. I mean, I, I was going to uh, use my chair's privilege, but I think it's probably best to, to, to get, the, get the ball rolling. I should say that despite my, um, despite my kind of wishy-washy, artsy, kind of uh, journalistic media background, uh, my, uh, my stepsister does that teach design and technology, and her husband is an inventor for Dyson. And... I cannot tell you how exciting my six and eight-year-old boys find the idea that Kevin is an inventor. Every birthday, he comes down and he builds each of 
the cousins in the extended family their own homemade rocket. Not sure how legal this is. I've never kind of put the footage up on YouTube in case we get arrested as terrorists. But this is fantastically exciting to them. They think of it as, uh, as dynamic, as creative. Uh, and I mean, the question I was going to ask the panel was about how we, I mean, we've heard the word creative a lot today, how we inject this idea that engineering and inventing is creative back into, back into what we do as a country and stop people thinking that what I do, which is actually limited in its creativity, uh, think of that as the only thing that, that people, uh, people want to do. So, sorry, I'll, I'll stop again. If I were to ask the same question, how to inspire and incentivize young people to do anything at all? That's, uh, that's one. And secondly, do people fall into careers like political lobbying or law or uh, marketing, or do they actively choose it in the sense we are talking about engineering and manufacturing today? Okay, heaven forbid. Okay, Peter at the back. I think it's all much more top-down than anybody it is said. I don't think it's about primary education, not even about secondary education. It's about the extraordinary prestige and rewards that attach to other things in the Anglosphere, to poncy parasitic things like the things that I do. And if you think, if you're a halfway sentient 17-year-old in an ambitious hothouse educational um, atmosphere where you've got careers, masters, and parents pushing you on, you don't think about engineering even if you're interested in engineering, because you think the great rewards, the glittering city on the hill is called, Mayf is called the city or Mayfair St. James's. And that's the most important single thing, and it's very characteristic of this nation. And until you address that, you're nowhere. Uh, Nico McDonald, uh, to Martin, to your question, we talk about the creative industries, which is a misnomer to start with, and... I think that excludes the idea there is creativity in other yeah. industries and disciplines. Uh, I think that there's a smaller question about the term engineering, which we, we discussed a bit. Uh, there was an episode of Night Waves on Radio 3 recently, which discussed our sort of harking back to our Brunel and other engineering heroes, but not understanding engineering to be a more diverse thing, and including uh, digital and electronics engineering engineers who are involved in creating games without pandering to kids too much, that might have some appeal, but we need to think about the terminology. But I think more generally, I think the idea that about problem solving is something we're very bad at thinking about in the UK. Uh, we tend to see problems and then decide that we're either going to tax them or ban them or some such. And in fact, you know, it is human to solve problems and to imagine doing things in a different way. And the other side of things is thinking about how we might improve lives for our fellow humans, which hasn't been much of a theme today, but ought to be. Uh, instead, we tend to see people as being the problem rather than people for whom we ought to improve their lives. So I think those two dimensions might uh, help inspire people, uh, particularly young people. Thank you. Uh, David, do you mind responding to the, uh, uh, to the question, perhaps, about uh, how you inspire young people to do anything at all, <laughs> if it's not too simple? Um, I, I just think it's the wrong way of looking at it. Teenagers, to my way of thinking, are the most needy bunch of individuals you can possibly imagine. And they desperately want to find out what their life's about and how to do something useful with themselves. So just tell them something, right? Anything. Tell them your story. They'll listen. They'll, they'll eat it all up. 
right? because they're desperate for that kind of direction. I mean, they might say to you, as the classic phrase is, you go teach a lesson and they say to you, why do I need to learn this? I'm never going to use it ever in my life. Well, if that's the case, you've got two choices. One, leave the room and let them get on with whatever it is, is they're doing. Or tell them. You just tell them what it is you think is important about it. And as soon as you do that, different conversation. It's, it's, it's really just turning it around. Thank you. Yeah, and I'd like to kind of pick up on that and the <coughs> point at the back about falling into careers in law or uh, accountancy and things like that, and this idea about the prestige of the city. Actually, what the city needs is highly numerate problem solvers. And what engineering uh, gives you is high, high numer numerical uh, education and uh, uh, lots of problem solving and understanding risks and things like that. And, and it's, it's reflected in the fact that many, many engineering graduates will go into the city. Uh, around about 7-8% of the engineering uh, uh, degree uh, graduates will go into the city, uh, uh, similarly with physics and mathematics graduates as well. So they are rewarded for, these, uh, uh, for studying engineering. What we need to do is uh, explain that even more and, and have a wider pool of people coming into uh, engineering and then uh, taking more uh, pupils, uh, young people, into engineering and allowing others to go into the city as well. I mean, Rachel and Brian, I was curious. I mean, in a sense, the three questions were in very similar, similar territory. I was curious from both of your perspectives um, what you got from going into engineering that perhaps you didn't expect to. I mean, you know, a lot of the questions today are about the, the, the way that engineering is, is reflected in society. Um, you know, presumably, when you, Rachel, went into it, but presumably you as well, Brian, um, a lot of these cliches were still there too for you. Mm -hmm. So I'd be interested to know why you decided to go in anyway and what you've learned through your careers as you've gone on. I did, um, my design technology at school was in electronics and since the school that I went to has uh, dropped it because students find it too difficult, which I think is a crying shame. But I liked maths and science, but I was an average GCSE student. I didn't have any A's, I had four B's, three C's and three D's because I found school boring. I'm not going to dress it up, I did. I went to college and I didn't do A-levels, I didn't go through academia, I went through a vocational course, I did a B-tech in uh, electrical electronic engineering because I, th I found it enjoyable at school. It was difficult to comprehend, but I enjoyed the maths and science, I enjoyed the problem solving, but nothing put me off. The thing that I didn't go into A-levels for and to carry on with the full academia was I didn't want to be in a classroom environment, I wanted to be creative and I wanted to be a little bit different. So I went into the BTEC vocational route, and then after that I went to an apprenticeship. And at the age of 24 now, I'm only just starting my degree because you do everything day release as an apprentice. And I think that's the best way to do it. If you've got the creative mind, why ham yourself to death of academia and go through your A-levels and go straight to your degree and then you come out with no work experience, no life experience, you've just got your academia behind you. But then as Sally was saying in the previous panel, you go into a job, you can't get the job because you don't physically have the experience and people aren't going to want to employ you. So. <laughs> I guess I uh, came to engineering quite late on as well. I'd um, completed a four-year apprenticeship with uh, Texas Instruments, but it was quite late on that I think I, I realised, yes, I am going to be an engineer. I went on to study a uh, degree and uh, master's level. But um, I, I guess we're not very good in the engineering profession at telling others just how much fun we have doing the job. 
um, you know, the, the opportunities that my career has afforded me for, for travel, for interaction with people, for seeing how stuff's made, how things work, you know, those same control systems that we use in, in factories to make things control industrial infrastructure and power stations and, and water companies. Now, these are the fundamental challenges that engineering addresses. And I think this is at the heart of one of the points made before, that um, if you can show kids a context for why, then you've got them. And my experience in that is, is showing a group of the, the learners at the UTC about wind turbines, explaining the trade-offs in, in the design and, and operation of, of wind turbine technology, but they get that. We're saving the planet. We're reducing our reliance on uh, fossil fuels. So I, I don't think that... I think we're actually in violent agreement on the panel about the fact that it's not the kids, but I do think we need to help uh, kids make much better and teachers make much better informed um, choices for, for young people to, to highlight some of the benefits of an engineering career. We have one more round of questions. I can't take every one, I'm afraid, but... Uh Question. Uh, Miles Park, London South East Manufacturing Alliance. Um, yeah, Siemens are investing a lot of money in a new pavilion in East London. Yes. BAE, we've just heard, are spending a fortune going around schools. Coca-Cola have built visitor centres for loads of schools in London, two of them in London and all over the UK. And other firms have also spent money doing open days on Sundays, two of which I know a couple of years ago attracted 3,500 Majorly, mainly young people, and I went to both days, New Holland Agriculture in Basildon and Selex Galileo and Communications in Basildon. Um, that attracted 7,000 people. The companies were staggered at the number of people, mainly youngsters, wanting to go around and look at the shop floor. There's latent energy there. And if companies can be encouraged to align um, their resources in this, instead of peddling their own canoes, which you're all doing, um, then we can have a hell of a lot more bang for buck and uh, you know, any sort of leadership from any, any of you guys would be incredibly warmly welcome. Thank you. Tanawal and Clarity. Rachel's experience needs to be extended massively right across the country. But as far as I know, whenever vocational training or education is advocated and it, uh, people try and give it more prestige, make it much more available to the 60% of our young people who fall through the net. It's seen as threatening the hallowed A-level and universities panic. And there's a, there's a sort of media campaign which gets characterised as we're dumbing down. And all of these people that the gentleman just here has described, this interest, this latent energy, gets wasted. We're terrible at wasting people. Um, hello, my name's Paul Reeves. I'd just like to briefly defend academic engineering. I, I, I went to grammar school, studied maths, physics, chemistry. I hated craft. I liked art. Um, I went to university. I'm really glad I went to university where there was loads of other people, different disciplines. I got interested in history, politics, etc., etc., and I started to understand historically what it was so great about humanity from the from the Renaissance through to Brunel, through to uh, not dominating nature, I suppose, in a way that's useful for us. But what kept me, what's kept me stuck in engineering is, I, I, I grew up in the late 60s, there was the, the uh, uh, landing on the moon, etc., etc. But basically, engineering to me is always, its purpose has been to, to provide a better future. Now, what concerns me, and I do think about these things, partly because of what the academic background, is that at the moment, engineering is often seen, not maybe directly, it's often seen as basically messing up the planet. Okay? 
Now, you know, and so every, the first uh, speech this morning, the guy from Coca-Cola, he, he was just talking about his sustainab sustainable um, credentials, right? Now, I think that engineering, big engineering, often messes things up to start with. And in the, as, it, as things go on, um, it sorts it out. But at the moment, with this sustainability thing, every, every, every new technology has got to prove itself to, you, you know, to, to not potentially damage the planet. And I think we need to start talking culturally about things like that. And then maybe we might fit, see where engineering fits in in a, in a more future-oriented way. Thank you. We've uh, had a few uh, references to Germany here today. And what I find particularly interesting, certainly Rachel's example, is that in Germany you would not be an outlier. You'd be two a penny. Uh, there are loads of really talented German female engineers uh, rising the corporate ranks and the likes of Siemens and elsewhere. And uh, what's the difference between this country which, uh, and Germany, which is economically, historically quite similar and has a similar flight path? And I think the answer is more fundamental. It touches on the point about education. And that is that at the age of 14, 15, they start streaming kids. They say, okay, if you're academic, you go into gymnasium, you do your abitur, which is their A-level. If you are more practical and have an interest in sports science or engineering or you know, bricklaying, you go to a Realschule. The point is everyone's kept in the system and some years down the line, they might end up working at the same company. Is it time we brought back polytechnics? Is it time we brought back grammar schools and secondary models? So um, if, we could, if the panel could uh, in some way uh, answer all those questions and sum up within about a minute, I'm under a huge amount of pressure to catch up the time a little bit here uh, before uh, I allow you to say, it says here that I'm allowed to give you, I was allowed to give you a 15 minute refreshment break, but now I'm only allowed to give you a five minute break. But, uh, uh, so if we could maybe sum up, maybe Rachel first and then. Oh, I, I don't know where to start. I think some of the differences between us and Germany is the different social culture maybe and the different things that children do and young adults do. The, sorry if I offended people, the rubbish that's on television. I've worked out in Germany as an apprentice. We have an apprentice exchange program. I worked out at EADS for three weeks and I absolutely loved it. I would happily go and work at our partner company in Germany. I thought it was fantastic. When they came over here, the apprentices, the my apprentice exchange girl said that we worked too long hours because obviously our working week is slightly longer. She was always tired and our weather was rubbish, which is fair enough. Um, it is. But yeah, there's not a lot we can do about that. No, there's not a lot we can do about that. But I think it's just everything. The social culture is just so different over here, and I don't understand why. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but I do think there is a change that needs to come about to get young adults more interested in things like the manufacturing. I think it's ridiculous that people, engineering is not classed as cool, it never has been classed as cool, but I want it to be cool. You have people that watch the television and they think, oh, well, I'm just going to go out, get drunk, meet a footballer, get married and be a wag. I'm going to go out, I'm going to be a fashion designer and I'm going to make it in London. It doesn't work like that. It's very, very rare when that story pays off. And I think it's a crying shame and it needs to change, the image needs to change. I, um, 
I think on the, the topic of, of German, the German education system, uh, when I met with Kenneth Baker when we were first discussing the Warsaw University Technical College, he, in his mind, had intrinsically linked Germany's economic success to their education system and uh, had seen university technical colleges as one step in the right direction to, to try and address the, um, uh, you know, the, the forgotten, it's not really a few, I think, uh, you know, we know that there's a lot that we might call second chances who, who you know, can really contribute to the economy in, in technical roles and, and there's a clear need uh, for that but at the same time I think we've got to, um, the media has to play a, a role in this as well you know, and I've been interviewed uh, you know, with lathes and old um, stereotypical images as the backdrop that doesn't help us at all uh, when in fact you know, we're, we're very much engaged in advanced manufacturing so I think we've got to update our, our imagery and media as well as help to improve the standing of those people who are in manufacturing and I would dearly love but I don't think it's ever going to happen some protection for the word engineer because of course we I think a worst case example for me was seeing in a motorway service station a, a toilet door that was broken and a sign that said um, out of order an engineer was being called and just thought <laughs> good grief there you know were. I'm a chartered engineer and I've been you know labeled in exactly the same way and that wouldn't happen in Germany either so I, I think that's pretty fundamental yeah. mechatronics that's a cool word like that it's the combination of hardware, software, and electrical capability. And if you can get a good mechatronics engineer, I can tell you they'll get a job right now. <laughs> so. Thanks very much. Oh, me? Okay. Um, so uh, your first point, the alliance of companies paddling together, working together instead of all doing our own thing. Uh, the engineering profession runs tomorrow's engineers, uh, which brings companies in, uh, the likes of Jaguar Land Rover, GKN, National Grid, all working with schools all together on various programs throughout the school age system. Uh, so, uh, and that's a very positive thing and I uh, would urge any companies to get involved with Engineering UK which runs that uh, program. Uh, the second point on vocational education, the lady over there I think, um, I, I completely agree on that point about vocational education but you used the word fall through the net to describe those who didn't achieve the GCSEs to go on to A-levels and I think that in itself is part of the problem. We need to recognize that vocational education is just another stream equally as valid and uh, equally as important. The third point about... Well, absolutely, yes. So, no, you're quite right. Um, I, I agree, absolutely. Academic is vital, getting uh, the proper uh, qualifications. And, and I agree with your point, David, that um, you know, I, I, the EBAC subjects are really important. And I'm a school governor in Walthamstow. I want my pupils to come out with five solid GCSEs. Um, but I think we need to send the message uh, as well to those pupils and to students that engineering will be at the heart of the hum humanities future global challenges, aging population, water shortages, climate change, future energy supply. It's engineers that are going to be the heart of solving those problems. And then finally, on uh, uh, looking at splitting schools, going back to the grammar school system, no, absolutely not. It's unfair, it's morally unacceptable to split, decide someone's fate at the age of 11. I just don't think we should be doing it. Uh, to sum up, Engineering is great. Uh, <laughs> we need to keep spreading the word. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I think there's a couple of things worth saying. One, um, on the, you know, the nature of education, do you need to split it up or anything like that? I think the way I'd look at it is we just have far too low expectations of all our young people in education. 
and that's our fault, not theirs. And if we start asking more of them, we'll get more out of them. It's very, very simple in that respect. Um, but very, very hard to change. Um, because we have a system that is imbued with low expectations at every single point. Um, and any of the qualifications, you look at them, they have been done down, I'm afraid. Um, it's a disaster, some of them. Uh, and the attempt to get rid of the uh, equivalents for some of the pseudo-vocational qualifications, if I dare say such a thing, um, is absolutely correct. Because what has happened because of the introduction of some of these qualifications is a travesty. Young people, masses of them, have not been educated just to fulfil criteria from targets from central government to make the schools look good. So instead of doing the job they should be doing, they're doing something else and getting it completely wrong. And on the back of it, the vocational academic split gets muddled in this and lost. So the, the simple thing about vocational education, I would say, is one, you need, I've said it already, you need a good academic education up to when we decide compulsory education finishes. Beyond that, you need a damn good vocational education that's world class and that pushes kids hard towards whatever they want to achieve. That does not exist, I'm afraid. It just does not. Uh, and so we need as good a vocational education as an academic education beyond the compulsory age. But up to compulsory age, give them a solid academic base so they can make those decisions later on themselves. Yeah. Thank you very much, David. So uh, thank you to Editorial Intelligence and to the, the sponsors today, DA Systems and Coca-Cola. Uh, thank you to you all for, for coming. And, um, and can we just thank our panellists again before we have about a minute, I think, of play? <laughs>